Um, I want to encourage you to turn with me um, in your Bibles to the book of First Peter. As you guys know, we have been walking our way through Peter's letter to a group of struggling Christians, struggling, suffering Christians in places like Pontus and Galatia and Bithynia and Cappadocia. And Peter writes in order to tell this group of Christians about the living hope that they have in Jesus. According to Peter, they possess a hope, and that hope is an alive thing. And he wants them to know it. And we have come down to really our final stretch. We have today's sermon in 1 Peter. We have next week's week's sermon in 1 Peter. And that's all we'll have in 1 Peter. And I'll miss it. Today, we get a section where Peter, again, turns to the theme of suffering as a Christian. So I'm going to read verses 12 to 19 slowly and carefully. If it's easier for you, you should be able to find them in your worship guide as well. So we just listen closely and carefully to these God's word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, we would ask that you'd be so kind as to, by the power of your spirit, illuminate these words, however difficult, or the words that I've prepared, Lord, however unclear, By the power of your spirit, would you use these words to shine light on our hearts, Lord, and more than anything, Lord, it's our sincere prayer that you would use them to give us a deep living hope in Jesus that we can take hold of in fresh ways, we pray. We pray it in the name of this same Jesus. Amen. So I have some neighbors, and uh, they will remain nameless. 
It's Jeffrey and Morgan Church. And they have undergone a remodeling project at their house that I'm watching take place before my very eyes. Their house has been completely changed. In the inside of this house, what was an old linoleum kind of floor is now hardwood. What was a wall here is not there anymore. Where the refrigerator was, apparently there's going to be an oven, and where the oven was, apparently there's going to be a refrigerator. Walls have been knocked down and reconstructed. Things are not what they used to be. And I was just watching this unfold, and it reminded me that the same thing is often true in the life of faith. We encounter experiences in our lives. Um, We have things happen in our lives that cause a kind of remodeling to happen inside our minds and our hearts and our souls. Walls are moved around, things are rearranged, new categories, new ways of seeing the world have to be put into place. And I say all this to say that I think that's a good way to think of this particular passage of scripture here that Peter writes to his hearers. See, in this text, Peter returns to the idea of suffering, and he's done this for the fifth time. Okay, he's returned to the concept of suffering and enduring through suffering for the fifth time. But in this particular text, he tells us a few things that I think are kind of like a remodeling. He tells us a couple of things that I think, by the power of God's spirit, new categories have to be created in order for us to really understand them and take hold of them. In other words, the Holy Spirit in some ways, I think has to do some remodeling so that we can live in these truths. Because they're different than what we would naturally think. So Peter is going to say two things Um, These are the two main ideas that he's trying to get across in this text in order to issue you and I one call. So here are the two ideas, if you like outlines from preachers in advance. First of all, Peter is going to say that trial, difficulty, suffering is to be expected. It's to be expected. The second thing that Peter says is that God gives gifts in it. And he says those two things in order to issue one central call. And the call of this passage is that you and I would entrust our souls to what he calls a faithful creator. So the main thing that I want you to hear this afternoon, if you don't hear anything else that I say, this is what you have to hear. I want to kind of announce to you, proclaim to you as best as I possibly can with all the pastoral passion that I can muster. Look at me in my eyes. You and I can trust God with our lives. 
We can trust God with our lives. So let's take a look at these ideas. First of all, trial and suffering is to be expected. Look with me at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, when Peter, throughout this letter, uses the words like trial and, and suffering or testing, in light of his audience, he primarily means persecution. See, his hearers were beginning to encounter all kinds of suffering. It was a pressure coming from the culture down to the church. But then there was also this other pressure and suffering that was internal, fights and interpersonal conflicts between people in the body. There's also the kind of suffering of just a normal person living in a broken and fallen world. So when Peter's using the word trial, he, he primarily means persecution, but in our time in these weeks in First Peter, we've expanded that idea to talk about the kind of suffering of all kinds that you and I endure. So you might be here this afternoon and you're not necessarily being persecuted, so to speak. Now, for some of you are, you've received mistreatment and malignment because of your devotion to the way of Christ. I know some of you have. So whether it's that or the general sense of suffering, Peter is saying to not be surprised. But why would we be surprised? I don't know if you're like me, but occasionally, Difficult, painful things happen, and it catches you off guard, doesn't it? Why? I think sometimes you and I are surprised, really for a good reason and a bad reason. Let me explain. <clears throat> sometimes you and I are surprised when pain and suffering comes our way because you and I know, we know somewhere deep down in our bones, instinctively, we know that this is just not the way that it's supposed to be. Whatever that thing is, you know down in your bones it's not supposed to be like that. The scriptures would lead us to believe that somewhere faintly in our memory, it's like somewhere way back in our memory, we can remember Eden. We can remember when things were <clears throat> like they were supposed to be, and they're not that now. And you and I have this urge deep inside of our souls to get back there somehow. See, I, I, I recognize this in my own children. Every now and then, my young children will ask me questions and they'll begin to notice some of the broken, hurting, painful, difficult things that happen either in our family's life or other families' lives. And they'll begin to ask me questions and they'll say to me things like, but daddy, why is it that way? And in that moment, I don't have a great answer for them other than to say, I know. So sometimes pain catches us by surprise for kind of a good reason. Instinctively, we know it's not supposed to be this way. But sometimes pain and suffering takes us by surprise 
though understandable, I'll call it for a bad reason. Let me explain what I mean. You see, Peter's hearers, just like you and me, sometimes we believe the myth that we have control of our lives. Sometimes we believe the myth that somehow we can circumvent pain. Either we can sip it away, we can numb it away. There are times that we think that we can engineer our lives in such a way to try to sidestep painful things. We think we can dodge them, we think we can walk around them. But we can't. We can't. I know this from personal experience. I wonder if you can relate with this, but I I, I actually have had a time in my life where I really believed. I really believed if I was faithful enough to God that he would protect me from bad things occurring in my life. There's a line in a novel that I really like, and basically a character in this novel had endured pain and suffering, a certain kind of persecution. And he had endured that, and he's reflecting on this to another character, and that other character hears it and says, what can't be helped must be endured. And he, that character, was a man who knew. Sometimes we have to walk through things. And we can't, we can't, we can't engineer our life in such a way that we can avoid it. Peter tells us here is do not be surprised. Now a couple more things I wanna say about this. If you notice down in verse 15, he makes sure that we don't bring this kind of difficulty on ourselves. That because of our sinful actions and activities, that we don't somehow invite pain into our lives through our own fault. And there's a second thing I want you to hear about this. When Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He's not being cruel. He's not looking at you and me and saying, I mean, come on, what did you expect? Sometimes I'll say that to my children. Well, what did you expect? And it's just that the Lord doesn't say that to us. He meets us in those places with mercy and compassion. But he wants us to be aware, to have our expectations set rightly. And I think it is so important that you and I take this in, that we're not supposed to be surprised when pain and suffering comes our way. Because I'm afraid that sometimes we think we're supposed to dodge pain and suffering. And when we don't, we feel like we've somehow missed a memo, that we didn't do something right, that we didn't get the technique right, and somehow something happened that wasn't supposed to happen and that it was our fault. Peter says pain and suffering is to be expected. But then he moves on to say a second thing that though pain and suffering are very bad, God gives gifts in suffering, trial, persecution, pain, 
difficulty, sorrow. God gives gifts. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. Peter, what are these gifts you're talking about? You say there's, there's gifts in sorrow and suffering and pain. Well, what are they? In a mysterious way, Peter gives us a couple things. First of all, he says that when Jesus is revealed, in other words, when he returns in all his glory, if we've endured through suffering, we'll be glad and we'll rejoice. Now, the full extent of what exactly that means, I'm not exactly sure. But somehow on that day, we will rejoice. He will have converted our sorrows to joy, as the scriptures teach us, our mourning to dancing. He goes on to say this idea of sharing in Christ's sufferings. Again, this is a, a theme we've seen throughout this book, that somehow you and I gain something of friendship with Jesus in places of pain. Now, that does not make it easier, but it is a consolation in the truest sense of the word. There's a second gift in suffering, besides the idea that we'll rejoice in, in We'll gain fellowship with Jesus. Look at verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you will be blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Somehow in places of pain and sorrow and suffering, the spirit who the scriptures teach us is the great comforter. The spirit comforts us in unique ways in those places. Again, that is not a promise of ease, but again, it is a consolation comfort. In verses 17 and 18, Peter goes on to say, and I'm going to summarize, essentially, God is in the process of acting as the judge of the world. Remember, the great creed tells us that he'll return to judge the living and the dead. He's going to act as the great judge of the world. This is a good thing. He's going to rid and purge the world of evil and sin and death. He is going to purify his church. Judgment will even come upon God's people so that he can purify us. The faithful remnant of his people will be preserved through that. Those who have hurt God's people historically will be judged. And he says all this in order to get to the call. He says suffering, trial and suffering are to be expected. He says that this is very bad, but God gives gifts in it. But then he issues this call in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the moment that I wanna take these ideas and as best I can, aim them right at your heart. And I wanna do that, if I could, by asking you a question. What would it be like, what would it look like for you to entrust your soul to God 
in the painful things that you're experiencing. What would that be like? And I want to tell you tonight that you can do that. You can entrust your heart and your soul and your life to God's care. It may have been a long time since somebody has looked you in the eyes and told you that God loves you and that you can trust him. But I'm here to tell you God loves you and you can trust him. I mean, it's so simple. You and I can trust our lives to God's care. It sounds so simple, but I promise you it's a truth that has a way of opening up for you the older you get. Y'all, I believe it more today than I did last year. I believe it more today than I did five years ago. The joys of my life have increased and the sorrows have simultaneously. And I've learned that you and I can trust our lives to God's perfect care. Now, you might be here tonight and you might say, well, Joel, that's easy for you to say. And I'm telling you, it's not easy for me to say. And you might not this afternoon think you can actually do that. And that's okay because sometimes we are given more than we can handle. But we can trust our lives to God's perfect care. Now, this is not going to make our lives easier. Scripture said that many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, 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 but the promise is that the Lord heals them all. It's so precious the way that Peter writes this. We can entrust our souls to a faithful creator. The idea of him being faithful. Okay, it's the concept that God can never, ever be anything other than what he is, ever. You and I can act out of our character. God can never actually do that. He faithfully promises to do everything that he's ever promised to do for you. And the idea that he's the faithful creator has to do with his commitment to you. When he made you, he at the same time made a promise to watch after the pain and difficulty in your life and the joys and the happiness and everything in between in order to perfectly care for you and love you. According to Peter, we have to make room in our minds. Us who like to circumvent suffering to know that suffering is to be expected. We have to make room in our minds that God gives gifts in it. We have to make room in our hearts and souls to believe that we can trust our God with our lives. And you can. Let's pray. Lord, as always, these are things easier to talk about from a pulpit than lived in the real things of our lives. Lord, I know that there are people among our body who have experienced mistreatment. Or there are those who have walked through pain and suffering. Lord, I pray that in these moments we could lean on your precious promises, that we could entrust our souls, Lord, to your perfect care.
So Lord, I ask that you would help us. Lord, would you do some remodeling in our hearts and in our souls to make us a people of, of great faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.